Hi everyone, this is Dr. Stefan. In this video, I'd like to answer a bunch of questions about inhalers, smoking and COPD, emphysema, valves for emphysema, things like that. And actually, uh, I, it's a, uh, a lot of the, these questions have been asked by one of the people who's following my channel, and that's Denise Thompson. So thank you for posting all the comments. And actually, I'd like to show you that basically I'm doing this video because I did receive a, a comment saying that none of my questions get answered. And there's quite a lot of them from Denise. I'm really sorry. I thank you for your, all your comments, but it's just some of these questions, be mindful that they get sometimes get buried under a lot of other comments. So sometimes I just pick a comment randomly. I don't have any preferences, to be honest, of who I'm responding to. I try to answer as many as I can, but obviously I don't have time to actually type up responses in many occasions but I do try to make videos because those can be seen by several other people. So in no particular order, I'm gonna try and answer at least a bunch of these uh, before the video gets too long, but hopefully this, this is helpful. So many of the questions do refer to COPD, emphysema, smoking, inhalers, things like that. So let's let's just go from, from the beginning to, to go over some of Denise's questions. And hopefully this will be helpful. Um, again, thank you, Denise, for, for posting all these. These are great and uh, they give me great ideas for future videos. So um, basically, first of all, there's a bunch of questions that are related to inhalers making people worse. So inhalers make a lot of people worse. Why is that? Don't smoke or vape or take inhalers. You're letting more in your lungs. So here I'd like to provide a bit of a nuanced view. There is obviously this concern that when you're using an inhaler, you may be inhaling some powder, some chemical something, some pharmaceutical agent into your lungs, and that may raise a concern that it could cause some problems. So that's absolutely reasonable to think. However, what I can tell you from personal experience, when I was working in clinical trials, and I, I've done that work for about a year, and I worked in a, in a phase one unit. So that's basically where they were running first in human trials for generally inhaled medication. And it was really interesting because uh, for me, I found it really, really interesting because a lot of these questions do come up in research. And some of the animal studies, for example, that are run before a drug is used in humans, in these cases, inhalers, do um, look at whether some of the powder that you inhale from, an in from one of these devices deposits itself in the lungs and is not cleared. The good news is though, that generally inhalers who have made it past clinical research and are in current use have demonstrated the fact that basically that powder that you inhale, that medication that you inhale, the, the excipients that are added to mobilize the pharmaceutical agent into the lungs are generally cleared. So they don't tend to build up in the lungs. So I hope that reassures some people that mo most regulatory agencies wouldn't let an inhaler on the market if they if the company that's producing it cannot demonstrate that that's the case so for example say you're using foster next inhaler which is a powdered inhaler or symbicort or something like that you are inhaling a little bit of powder in your lungs but generally those particles then get coughed up with the sputum so only the medication is carried by those particles into the lungs the medication gets absorbed into the inner lining of the airway but then everything else is basically moved up by the ciliary movements of the, the cells inside the airways and you bring it up as part of uh, normal clearance mechanisms. So just the fa fact that you're only inhaling very limited amounts of powder 
means that it's quite easy for the lungs to clear those uh, those particles. And you might find that uh, strange and surprising, but actually, or you may wonder that, well, I'm not really coughing that much, so how can I clear the sputum? Actually, you're always clearing sputum. So the lungs, the inner lining of the airways, has these cells that contain little cilia. So I don't know, let me blow this up. So basically, if you imagine this is the inner, line, the inner tube inside the airways, the cells on the inner tube contain basically little little like uh, little hair like things that always move up and they tend to move up any thing that is inhaled so if you're inhaling large particles there's mucus that traps these particles and the mucus floats on top of these little hair like things and these tend to move things up all the time they keep beating the ciliary movement so you can look this up further if you want for further information but that moves the mucus that has trapped these particles up and you tend to either cough up a bit of phlegm or in most cases much of the phlegm gets swallowed and then eliminated the other way. So hopefully that reassures some people that the amount of powder that you're inhaling is generally very safe. It's very little. And this thing that uh, inhalers make a lot of people worse, to be honest, that's not my, my, uh, my practice. That's not what I've seen in real life. So as a doctor, you, you may discuss this again with your doctor if you feel this is unsafe. But generally, it's the condition itself that makes the pe people worse. So if you're suffering with COPD, for example, severe COPD, it's probably that condition, that airways problem, that actually makes you feel worse. It makes you feel unwell, breathless, coughing, all these things. And sometimes when you inhale the medication, when you take the inhaler, maybe for the first minute or so, you may have a bit of irritation because it's something that's introduced into a sensitive airway. But then the muscles around the uh, the airways relax a little bit. So that's the use of the inhalers. That's the action of the inhalers. And it sort of lets people breathe easier. And to be honest, if I... This is just a little bit of an anecdote, so just bear with me if I'm, I'm going slowly on this. But I remember when I was training um, in pulmonology and my professors who have trained before I did. So this was around the time when we didn't have the modern inhalers. Patients, re they were telling us stories about how patients really, really struggled before the advent of long acting inhalers. And people were just trying to treat things like COPD with just Ventolin or not even that. So before inhalers were invented and found their way into clinical practice, the situation was a lot more difficult. There were a lot of other problems. So these are actually very big gains in terms of treatment for COPD. Now, let's go to some other questions that are here. And feel free to just leave comments here if, I feel, if you feel I haven't clarified something really well. I do try to answer, like I said, as much as I can, but it's just a video. So always check this with your doctor. See how it applies in your case. So what inhaler has the least side effects? Well, it depends. So most inhalers don't really have a lot of side effects, especially if they're used correctly. Now, you have inhalers that are very simple in their mode of action. So things like Ventolin, like this one, um, they are very simple. They only contain salbutamol, which is a short-acting bronchodilator. It just relaxes the muscles around the airway, lets you breathe easier for a bit, but it only lasts for about four to six hours. The effect then goes away. But the side effects, of course, if you take a lot of them, a lot of puffs from a Ventolin inhaler, for example, you may 
get a little bit uh, jittery. You may get some palpitations. It does act a little bit like a stimulant. But for regular use, maybe six to eight puffs a day max, it should be fine. If you need to use more than that, it may be a sign that something's going on. You're either maybe not using the inhaler correctly or your condition uh, may be a little bit more advanced. Maybe there are other things that are causing the breathlessness. So you may need to talk to your doctor to see what else is going on, if there's something else that you can use. In terms of other inhalers, so inhalers that are combined inhalers, so I've got one here which is like a demonstrator for a Foster inhaler, so there are many, many other ones. Symbicort is a combination inhaler, Ceratide is another combination inhaler, there's, there's many of them. Um, these contain two medications inside, so again, maybe there is a potential for a, a few more side effects, but still, still, remember that the doses that you're inhaling are very, very small. And this is why I always say that inhalers are much safer than taking tablets or other medications such as that. That's because you, a tablet, When imagine, when you take a tablet, you're swallowing it. It goes into your stomach, intestines, it needs to be dissolved, absorbed, circulates through the bloodstream, then reaches the lungs where it would act. So you're basically trying to treat a condition that affects the inner lining of the airway mainly, with a medication that needs to reach it from the outside, from the blood vessels that are on the outside of the airway. So I hope that makes sense, but imagine if you're inhaling something directly where it needs to act, it's like putting ointment on a wound. You don't need to take a tablet for the ointment to get through the other side. You're just taking it there, so you need much less medication. So that means that a lot of it doesn't really get absorbed. It stays within the airways. And that's actually, again, something that's being looked at in pharmaceutical development when people are designing these inhalers, when, they are, when companies are making these, to try to make them as safe as possible. So obviously, people may get some side effects sometimes, especially when the inhaler cannot be used correctly, and that can be due to not being aware of the correct technique. So always check with your doctor if you're using the right technique. You can always take the inhaler with you to consultations, take a couple of puffs in their presence. They can give you some direct feed feedback whether you're using them correctly. Um, also, watching videos online, reading the instructions carefully, having someone help you for the first few attempts when you're taking the inhaler, those, those all can help. Um, but then again, you can still sometimes get a little bit of medication stuck to the back of your throat, sometimes because it's just not the right inhaler for you, but there are many types, so that's good, the good news. So you can always generally find one together with your doctor that works for you that you can use correctly. If you're inhaling the, uh, inhaling the powder or the, the puff correctly, it tends to go in the airways where it needs to act. I would just recommend that you always rinse your mouth, gargle and spit that water out after you take the inhaler doses because it just limits the amount of powder that's left on the voice box, back of the throat. So that can reduce the uh, side effects because many side effects actually from inhalers do tend to, to have something to do with getting a hoarse voice, um, you know, some oral thrush, things like that, especially, like I said, when inhaler use cannot be correct. Sometimes you can use a spacer to minimize um, inhaler side effects because especially for these ones, you connect it to like a bigger device and the large particles get deposited on the inner side of the, that spacer device. And you're just inhaling the very fine particles that go deep inside the lungs and they don't get deposited on the, on the airways, on the back of the throat. So that can reduce side effects again. But like I said, most side effects from inhalers Maybe a bit of a hoarse voice, maybe getting a few jitters, especially when you're using too much of a, a stimulant inhaler. And it depends from person to person, but 
that's pretty much it. Sometimes, of course, there can be other side effects which will be listed on the leaflet of, of the inhaler that you're using, but I wouldn't necessarily focus on all the side effects. If you focus on correct technique, on treating your condition in in any in other ways as well, so making sure your lifestyle is uh, correct, all these things are correct, and you're treating other conditions associated with your condition, you'll probably have a pretty good outcomes outcomes if you are on inhalers. So I hope that um, reassures some people. Let's move on to some of other uh, the other questions that Denise has left here. So uh, we talked about the inhaler side effects again. Like I said, just to clarify that one. So what inhaler has the least side effects? Depends from person to person. Depends on how you can use them. There isn't one inhaler for all patients. There isn't such a thing as the best inhaler, in my opinion. We need to sort of work together, doctors and patients, find which, whichever works best for you. Now, have you heard of Zephyr implants for emphysema COPD? I have heard of them, thank you. <laughs> but basically, these are um, some valves that can be uh, inserted in the airways to basically collapse parts of the lungs that are non-functional. So what happens in emphysema? This is actually a very interesting um, comment, and thank you for, for providing that. Some people who suffer with emphysema, emphysema is a component of COPD. So chronic obstructive pulmonary disease generally has two components. One of them is emphysema, and the other one is chronic bronchitis. And I'll explain what these mean right now. So chronic bronchitis means that basically the inner mucosa of the airways changes in response to um, injuries from the environment. So generally inhaling lots of dust, inhaling fumes, smoking a lot for many years, it leads to, to the airway adapting itself in, in a way to produce more mucus to trap all these particles that you're inhaling from the environment. So it's a way to protect the, uh, the lungs. However, as you're inhaling more and more dust, and this doesn't stop over many years, over 20 years, 30 years, you get to the point where these bodies' protective systems become overwhelmed and it leads to a detrimental effect because the cells that are producing mucus change and you're producing more mucus than you need. So that's chronic bronchitis. And this leads to coughing more, bringing up phlegm, some of these symptoms that many patients who suffer with COPD have. Emphysema, on the other side, it's a condition that affects the deeper parts of the lungs and this is where the airway, the ends of the airways, basically the, the, the airways, you can imagine they sort of branch out and they sort of split into smaller and smaller and smaller airways 20 or 22 times, something like that. So once you get to the inner, deeper parts of the lungs, you have these little sacs. So it's like a cul-de-sac road, if you can imagine like that. It just branches out into suburbia, smaller, smaller, smaller roots, and then it gets to a little pocket. Now, these things are very small, and they, are all, they all look like a bit of a grape, if you can imagine a grape. And then what happens is that in emphysema, generally because of the oxidative processes related to reactions to cigarette smoke, to some of the immune responses that... Uh, uh, generate oxidative stress in that deeper part of the lung, the, these little sacs become dilated. Some of the walls thin out and disappear. So you end up with some pockets of air where there's very little membrane to exchange gas. So getting oxygen in, 
um, and releasing the CO2 from your body. So that happens on that membrane, on the alveolar membrane. So these are called the alveoli, the little sacs there. When you get to that point where some of this membrane disappears because of this oxidative stress, what this is what uh, leads to emphysema. So you have these pockets of air where air gets in, but it doesn't really have enough surface around to exchange the gas efficiently. And some of these can then become quite large. So you can have like these bully on the lungs. So you have basically a pocket of air in the lung that doesn't really help you exchange gas, but that can become quite large and compress areas of normal lung. So these valves are sometimes introduced. They're not good for all patients with emphysema because it needs to be in certain parts of the lung that can actually be collapsed. So basically you insert a valve into the airway that leads to one of these pockets of big pockets of air. And that valve is unidirectional. So it lets the air come out, but not let the air come in. So basically when a valve is inserted, usually through a bronchoscopic procedure, so you're having a camera, like a camera test for an investigation for the lungs and a valve is introduced that way. It tends to collapse those non-functioning areas of the lung to leave the other healthy parts of the lungs alone to let them operate normally. Okay, so that means that basically you will have more functioning lungs and a lung and that leads to less symptoms. So hopefully that is what uh, that is a good explanation there. Sorry, I'm a bit slow with the explanations here, but I hope that that makes sense. But these implants, again, are not for everyone, but they can help in emphysema. That is very bolus. You have a lot of these um, non-functioning areas of the lungs that are compressing healthy parts of the lungs and causing a lot of symptoms. But they're not the best option for all patients with emphysema. It's something to discuss with your doctor. Not all patients can have these valves uh, for various reasons. Sometimes there's communications that uh, between those non-functioning non areas of the lungs and the, the healthy areas of the lungs. So even if we put a valve, it doesn't really collapse the, the non-functioning area. So it's a little bit more complicated. Let's try to answer maybe a couple more questions. So uh, I have centrilobular emphysema. I function well uh, with this so far. No problems, no puffers. I move, walk the four Ds. I'm not exactly sure what uh, Denise means by this, but it sounds as if uh, she has a diagnosis of emphysema and uh, no problems, doesn't need any puffers. So sometimes we can actually pick up emphysema. I think this is what she's alluding to. Sometimes uh, we can have a scan of the chest for a different reason. Well, could be any number of reasons. You have a scan of your chest and uh, part of this uh, investigation, you get the report that there is emphysema on the lungs and you may be surprised. Oh my God, I've got emphysema. What, what, but I don't feel well, unwell. That can be the case, especially if there's only a very limited amount of emphysema, it wouldn't really cause a lot of problems, a lot of symptoms. So that can happen sometimes. And in that situation, you probably don't need any treatment, but it's important to just monitor what goes on Try to keep active, which I, it sounds like Denise is doing. She's moving, walking. Uh, maybe these refer to diet and things like that. I am not entirely sure what, what that's about, but probably good lifestyle decisions, which is great. So that's actually the main thing that you need to do. If you get diagnosed with COPD or with emphysema, it's probably a good sign that you need to stop smoking, have a healthy life, good diet, exercise, move. All these things are 
fantastic because there are good challenges for the body to to have to have a little bit of more exercise every day to keep the muscles of the respiration going becoming stronger all these things are really really important so yes in some cases you don't need treatment for emphysema and inhalers sometimes do not help that much in emphysema itself it generally helps a lot with chronic bronchitis with situation where there's a lot of obstruction but if you have a lot of emphysema this is for other patients maybe not the case of denise um, who kindly shared this information with with us in some patients when you have a lot of emphysema like i was explaining before you have these areas of non-functioning lungs that compress areas of healthy lung even the inhalers do not help that much in that situation, unfortunately, because there's a mechanical problem in the lung. There's just a limited amount of space in the chest. And sometimes you cannot really uh, fix that with just taking an inhaler that just relaxes the muscles around the airways to, to let more air in. So sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. I would say in many patients, if there is an obstructive pattern on the spirometry, and your doctor can clarify this a bit more, but just in brief, you're not able to get as much air out in the first second as you would if you were healthy. That's a sign of an obstructive pattern on the spirometry, and you can pick it up based on the numbers. Um, it's that ratio between the FEV1 and the FVC. These are two parameters on the lung function generally. When that's below 0.7, although there is debate about that number, it suggests that there's an obstructive component and some of the the patients who have these uh, re obstructive patterns on the spirometry they do benefit from inhalers because it causes a little bit of uh, more airflow to to pass through the through the narrowed airways and it improves symptoms but anyway it's a, it's a separate discussion but i will uh, maybe make another video about that separately let me just try and address some more questions from denise before this video becomes even longer i'm sorry it's uh, so long so next one next comment ventolin gives me shakes and weaknesses well yes we were discussing this before so if you take a lot of uh, these salbutamol inhalers sometimes you may get a bit shaky it's like having um how should i put this it's like having a lot of coffee, a lot of tea. This is the sensation that some patients get. But this is generally after you've taken a lot of puffs. Some people may be more reactive to these things, so they may react uh, sooner and have the shakes more often, but it's not usually something very dangerous. Obviously, if it's quite significant, talk to your doctor, see if you can use an alternative medication. But yes, it is a potential side effect of the inhaler. But like I said, for most people, it's usually when they have to take a lot of puffs, puffs of the inhaler during the day. And in that situation, I would always wonder if there's any other cause for the breathlessness that's not really helped by the inhalers. Right. Again, the next comment is about, have I heard about the Zephyr valves? So like I said, these are the unidirectional valves that can be inserted in the airways through a bronchoscopy procedure, through a camera test procedure, and they collapse areas of non-functioning lung to let the healthy lung expand and hopefully get more air into those areas and reduce symptoms in emphysema. Uh, best doctor I've uh, so far I've come across. Well, thank you, Denise. I don't know if that I am. I probably am not. I think I just like explaining a lot, but thank you for the comment. It's encouraging that uh, people appreciate this content. Thank you very much. Um, Next question, should I be afraid of inhalers? Will they kill us before our time? Again, I think I've answered this question before, 
because it's it does sound like I've made a video about this before. It's a very dramatic comment. <laughs> okay, so I do not think they will kill us before our time. I really do not think so. I think the condition that's untreated is probably more dangerous than the treatment itself in this case. So if you have severe COPD and emphysema, it's probably important to engage with your doctor to try to see if you can be on the maximal treatment possible for, for your condition just to make sure that you're dealing with your symptoms as, as much as you can because actually even if the inhalers do not change the course of COPD or emphysema, even if you do not necessarily feel um, stop the progression of the disease, you may still struggle with it. At least if you have fewer symptoms, you'll be able to do more in terms of uh, exercise, moving around the house, uh, doing a lot more activity generally strengthens your muscles so you break that vicious cycle that actually leads to decline a lot of patients with COPD enter this vicious cycle where they are breathless they do much less exercise and physical activity because of that and that leads to even more breathlessness as the muscles weaken progressively over time so I think yes if you need to take inhalers to improve your symptoms so that you can do more and have a better quality of life I think that's really important uh, let's just maybe take one or two more of these and let's see what we where we get to. My doctor won't send me to a pulmonologist or pulmonary rehab. Having so, I'm told uh, I have centrilobular emphysema, mild to moderate. Right, okay, so I think in this case, basically, this is a common situation. So thanks, Denise, for sharing this. Basically, what, what it is, I think in this situation, my understanding would be that a CT scan of the chest has been done. It picked up emphysema, mild to moderate, as it's been described. But it's possible that uh, in this case, the symptoms are not that significant. So the uh, family doctor or the general practitioner, depending on where you are in the world, doesn't feel like a referral to a specialist is necessary because the symptoms may not be that great. This is my understanding. I may be wrong. So again, talk to your doctor. I don't know what your situation is. But some of the cases uh, involving COPD and emphysema do not necessarily need a specialist opinion. Of course, it would be preferable to have this, uh, especially if it's a severe situation or if there is a risk of progression, if there's something that's... Uh, there's a question about the diagnosis. Always, always, I think an opinion from a specialist would be helpful. However, it may be that in very mild cases... There's not much that the specialist can actually add in terms of advice. Maybe the same advice, uh, some inhalers and continue to exercise. But if it's someone who is quite active and can do a lot of things, doesn't have uh, uh, a lot of problems with their quality of life, and just the fact that something was picked up on a scan, but it doesn't really change how they're living their lives, it may be that going to pulmonary rehabilitation won't be that helpful. The reason for that is that pulmonary rehabilitation is a form of uh, exercise. It's an exercise program, a formal exercise program for people who are affected by chronic respiratory diseases, such as COPD. So in that case, if you go to the pulmonary rehabilitation class, it can be helpful in the sense that you may see a physiotherapist who may guide you on how to do uh, exercises for your chest. But if you are very active, if you're walking every day, if you're hiking, if you're doing exercise, if you're going to the gym, etc., it's probably not going to be very helpful because most of the people in those rehabilitation classes will be actually much worse than you and you might find the class, well, let's not say boring, but you might find it a bit too easy for you. So, And also, from a psychological perspective, you may find that, well, all these people in the class 
are much worse than me. They may be on oxygen. They may be really in a bad shape. And psychologically, that can affect people. So it's a balanced decision. I think you should discuss with your doctor whether you would want to go for the class and just assume that you will see people of varying uh, degrees of uh, involvement of their chest by different respiratory conditions. So it may be very different. So pulmonary rehabilitation is great. I think it's really important at least to go for one class. Um, to understand what exercises you may do for your chest. And it's important to do these with the guide of a physiotherapist. But in some cases, maybe the group class is not for everyone. So for various reasons that may be psychological in nature, they may relate to other things, personal preferences, availability of these classes in your area. There, there could be a lot of things uh, that may influence your doctor's decision to refer you for these things or not. So I would say discuss with your doctor if it's something you'd want to do in terms of pulmonary rehabilitation and exercise programs, or if you need to see a specialist. But just communicate often with your doctor. And if there are changes to your health, by all means, uh, highlight these to your doctor because then appropriate referrals can be made. Right. Uh, <coughs> apologies. I think I'm just going to read one more. I'm actually coming to the end. So one of them was, oh, okay, let me finish the comments from Denise. So I'm terrified of inhalers. My mom had so many and was going down fast. So again, like I was saying before, it's sometimes uh, a little bias that we have. We, it's an association that we, we make from with a very severe lung condition and inhalers and we think that the inhalers are causing the condition which is not necessarily the case they may be just psychologically we may associate the use of a lot of medication with the condition but it's actually the condition that's the problem not the treatments if that makes sense the treatments are just trying to help a situation that can sometimes be impossible and really hard to treat so that's how i would think this Okay, and there's two more co comments. Let me just go over these. Apologies. <coughs> Sorry, I've been. Um, it's been a long video so far. Please do a show on mild to moderate central lobular emphysema. I'm told I have this, but not on medication yet. So again, what we were discussing before, that's what I was thinking. I want to stay off puffers or meds. What would you suggest holistically for me? So again, I think we've covered this more or less. Um, exercise, good diet enough sleep, not smoking, not being exposed to pollution, especially think about indoor pollution. So if you're inhaling uh, smoke passively from people who smoke in the house, or if you have stoves that are not pulling the smoke well, if you're burning candles and incense, probably not good. So just thinking about these things, but generally diet, exercise, keeping active, keeping socially active, not thinking that having a diagnosis is the end of the world. Because like I said, some of these changes can be sometimes uh, just picked up on a CT scan, incidentally, without necessarily a lot of symptoms. But if you need to be on inhalers to improve your symptoms, if you do have respiratory symptoms, do take that into consideration. It's a balanced decision. It's your choice whether you take them or not. But talk to your doctor about that. So I think that's really the recommendation. And mild to moderate central lobular emphysema is just a diagnosis that is made on a radiological examination such as a chest CT scan. Apologies for the coughing. So then the final comment, my nurse practitioner said I should be sicker than I am. I don't want to be dependent on puffers. I prefer to move around. So again, it's absolutely your choice. So that makes absolute sense. But I would say you are not dependent on inhalers. 
on puffers if you go on them. If your doctor recommends you go on an inhaler, it doesn't mean that you are dependent or addicted to the inhaler. It's just you are using something to treat a condition. So if you have a lot of chest symptoms and you are you cannot... Um, I think this is the wrong way of looking at things. Um, I don't want to, to criticize and I don't want to, to sound as if I'm, I'm trying to tell you what to do, but think about it in this way. If you have a condition that's giving you a lot of symptoms, if you take a medication, whether it's inhalers or tablets or whatever it is, to improve your symptoms, and then when you stop that medication, the symptoms come back, it just means that that's unfortunately how things are. And we may not be able to fix all the health problems that some people accumulate over the years. But using medication to improve your quality of life, if that's required, doesn't, in my book, constitute a form of addiction. That's how I see things. And then obviously what Denise is saying here that I prefer to move around, that's fantastic. So that's exactly very, very good. That's something that most people should do. So if you are struggling with a respiratory condition, even if you get a bit breathless, it doesn't mean that you need to be a champion at the gym or a marathon runner or something like that. But if you like to move around, if you are active, if you have always been an active person, by all means, try to do that to the best of your ability now. Even if you've been diagnosed with a condition, make sure that environment, the environment around you is safe for your lungs. You're not smoking. You're not doing any of these uh, bad things for your health. You're sleeping enough. You're having a good diet. All of these things actually will probably make a world of difference it's not only the inhalers so most doctors are aware of this they're not going they're re going to recommend treatments and medications because this is what we need to do this is what's evidence-based but then it's the responsibility of each individual person who is diagnosed with a condition at the end of the day to also implement healthy uh, lifestyles so that's something that we cannot control as doctors we can make recommendations for medications that may help but unfortunately, it's the lifestyle changes that actually make the most difference. And that's the hardest to change. It's easy to prescribe a medication, but it's very hard for any individual person to change their ways, especially for 50 years, you've been working in an office, sedentary, you haven't been exercising, and suddenly you have a respiratory condition, you used to be smoking, you need to give up the smoking, you need to start exercising more, you need to eat better, you need to change a lot of things at once. It can be really hard. And I do understand that, but it's it's little things that you can do. And you don't have to start making these changes right away. You can start with small things every single day. Maybe improving your diet this week. Next week, exercising a bit more. Next time you're at the supermarket, avoid buying the sugary uh, drinks and chocolates and other sweets. And maybe go past the um, the aisle where they keep all the fresh products right, the very fresh produce and pick some nice veggies that you like, some nice fruit and replace uh, your chocolate with some fruit and little things like that. So, or, or if you're um, parking your car right at the entrance of the supermarket, you know, when you go to a supermarket, you see, uh, you see this, this is a fascinating psychological thing. All the cars are gathered around the entrance because no one wants to carry their shopping. How about you park your car far away? at the other end of the parking lot and just walk to the, to the supermarket. It's just little things that we can always do, but it, we don't think about these things, but we need to be aware of ourselves. And I've talked about this in other videos before because I think lifestyle is really, really important. It's probably most of the healing, if you want, most of the treatment for any condition is actually your own habits being improved.
to con conduce to your better health. And it's different for everyone. Everyone has different levels of exercisability, uh, different access to healthy diets, etc. So it's not one size fits all. But if we are self-aware, if we just maybe sometimes journal, keep track of what we eat, keep track of when we're going to bed, how much exercise we do, this is, I think, this self-reflection is really, really important. And it can actually make us feel more in control of what's going on, feel more in control of our bodies and what we can do. Anyway, this was a long video. I hope I've covered the questions um, that Denise has uh, left for, for, for me. And to be honest, I think it's many of these questions actually covered a lot of uh, things that many patients who have COPD, who have emphysema, do sometimes uh, come up with. And hopefully it clarified at least some of the things. Again, longer video. Apologies for that. I hope it was helpful. It was a bit slower paced than before. But sometimes it's like this when I'm not scripting it and I'm not I'm just going over the comments and that you've left. Thank you very much for watching. If you have further questions, do leave them in the comment section below. And see you again. All the best and good health and take care.